welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How are you this morning? Yeah, good. Great opportunity, great privilege for me to come and share with you today. And, and Tony, are, Tony and I are great friends and we get together uh, every couple of months and uh, we sit together and just chat about what it's like to, to lead people like you and uh, what a joy it is to lead people like you and uh, what a great opportunity we have to be great leaders and great men. And we just, uh, you know, Tony's an inspiration to me and, and uh, a, great, uh, a great friend and I would, I would count him in one of my close friends, one of our good friends and uh, we just... Have lots of fun, lots of fun the other day together, and uh, that was excellent. That's one of the things I love about Tony is uh, he's got a sense of humour and, and it allows me to bring out uh, a bit of my naughty side. So it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So thank you for the opportunity of uh, coming and for you getting up early this morning to come and uh, to hear me share with you this morning. I just want to talk to you about uh, what makes men strong. What makes men strong? Why did God give to you testosterone? Why did God give you such a big dose of testosterone? For some of us, it's bigger than others. Yeah, why don't you turn the person next to you and ask them how, how their levels of testosterone are actually going today? So I want to talk to you today about why God made you strong. Because if I look at, you know, the, the women are called the you know, fairer sex, but the men really are known for their strength, their testosterone, their power. And I want to talk to you about why God did that and what is your kryptonite? What is Superman's kryptonite in his building this morning? So I want to talk about that today. Just wanted to mention before we get into that, just to let you know, Tony and I have been talking about this for the last few weeks. We've got a, a statewide, citywide conference coming up at the end of January. So I just wanted to mention to you, I was going to do it uh, another time, but today's now's the moment. But uh, we have four of the greatest uh, speakers that you could ever get on the planet assembled in one place at one time coming to Adelaide. I don't know about you, but I love Adelaide and I want our city not to be overlooked by the world's best. They now do it in the entertainment field. But I want us to be a city that draws the greatest and the best talent from all around the world at all time. And I know we're all committed to that excellence because uh, you know, it's something our city needs. And so we've got coming, you know, Bishop T.D. Jakes, I don't know if you've ever been in a room with him, uh, but it is an imposing, incredible moment to be in the, in the presence of this amazing, incredible man. I sat there one night and I said to him, look, uh, Bishop, can you teach me how to preach? He says, well, have you seen the, uh, the movie, A Beautiful Mind? And I said, yeah. He says, you know where that guy's got all that mathematics running down, you know, kind of going you know, crazy in his head? He says, that happens to me with thoughts and with uh, messages. So he says, I've got 10 different strands going on at the one time. I said, well, you can't teach that. I'll never learn that stuff. That's just being clever and being, being a genius. So he's coming to speak. Creflo Dollar, great faith speaker, coming to speak. Uh, Chris Hill and also Dr. Samuel Chand, who is now the consultant to uh, the, the pastor with the largest church 
in the world, a guy called Craig Grishel from Life Church. And they're all coming together, and uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome conference, and I'll talk more about it tomorrow night, but uh, just want to invite you guys along. And we've got a special for you. Normally, right now, the registration is about 165 today and tomorrow, because I'll be here tomorrow night, it's, it's 145. And what a great way to start your January. Start it full of fire, power, and a sense of vision. Being inspired in three days where you just get to sit, come together as a group. So you sit together and just get God to speak into your heart so that 2011 is a great year. That's why we put it on at that time of the year, because we know we need vision leading into the new year. Well, why did God give you a big dose of testosterone? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, He gave it to you because... He wanted you to be a protector. You men by nature are protectors. God has created you with this innate desire to want to look after things, to look after people, look after your family. There's something within every man that rises up, no matter what the circumstance, to protect. That's a God-placed good dose of testosterone mixed with his purpose and plan, so you would become a protector. I don't know whether you've lived your life as a protector, but God designed you to protect things, to protect your pastor, to protect your family, to protect your church, to protect your finances. He's made you a protector. I remember many years ago now, I was involved in a bank hold-up. No, I wasn't the one uh, robbing the bank. Uh, not that time, anyway. But I wasn't the one robbing the bank. I've been in two bank hold-ups. And uh, both as uh, victims. And uh, I remember being in this bank hold up down at Greenacres in the Commonwealth Bank on the corner there of uh, whatever, whatever road, Muller's Road. And uh, I had my son Mark, now he's 22, but he was two at the time. And uh, so it was a long time ago. Walked in the bank, I was just filling out my withdrawal slip. As you know, you don't often fill out deposit slips. So I was filling out a withdrawal slip, and uh, suddenly in through the doors burst uh, three masked gunmen with stockings over their faces. And, and the way it was positioned was I was, the door was over there, say where the speakers are. In between was a, a Lego table, which my son was sitting on and building something. And then there was me over here against the wall filling out my withdrawal. And of course, they you know, barged in with their sawn-off shotguns and everybody on the floor. Well, you know, we all obeyed. Everyone facing the other way. When I came down to the floor, I remember the first word that came out of my mouth was Jesus. Incredible. Just came out of my Jesus, but and, mate, and I wasn't sure it was because of the situation or the fact that I actually, when I hit the floor, came like lip to lip with a ninety-year-old lady who was facing that way as I was facing that way, and I can't remember which scared me the most. But uh, <laughs> what happened was I said, "Jesus, help me!" No, I didn't say. I said, "Jesus." But you know one of the things I did do. He said, "Everybody," and he's waving the shotgun, you know, right near me, yelling at my direction. Everybody facing the other way. Well, I refused to face the other way because my little two-year-old boy was sitting between me and the gunman. So everyone's quiet and everyone's panicking, whimpering on the floor. I start to talk to the gunman. Hey, mate, can I get my son? Right, and the guy's there. Shut up! No, he'll be fine. I said, mate. I need to get my son. You, don't, you just don't talk to people who are holding a gun at your face. But see, there's something inside of a man that wants to protect. You know what? I'm not going to let this guy come in with his gun and, and, and wreck my two-year-old's life. And what was quite amazing, that kind of the end of the story was, uh, you know, and I started to debate. I actually was on the floor, and this is a true story. This is not a pastor's story. This is a true story. Okay. 
Um, I started to debate, it was like, because as soon as I said the word Jesus, and as soon as I started to engage, I felt all fear leave me, and this power come upon me. I can tell you, this power was so incredible that I started to debate in my mind. I started to, you know, I'm one of these projection people, kind of, you know, forward thinking ideas, kind of visionary. And I started to think what would happen when I got up and I rebuked this man in the name of Jesus. And I started thinking, pictures in the paper the next day, front page, pastors, subdues, armed gunmen. And I wasn't quite sure if that was the devil trying to get me killed or God trying to get me to be a hero. So I wasn't quite sure, but I just stayed where I was. But literally I was thinking, I should get up and I should flip and smash this guy. And all these things were going through my mind. And amazingly, Mark, who was two, who would normally turn around, he's got ADHD, would turn around and, and look around, uh, look straight at me, didn't move one ounce. And when, when, he, when these guys left, I was the guy that went and locked the bank. I was the guy that went outside and got the uh, policeman in. I was the guy that did all the bank, bank procedures while all the bank staff were all needing counselling. But the thing is, God gives us a big dose of testosterone so that we can protect. And I want you to rise up to your great stature in life and become a great protector. Protect the things that are dear. So often we don't protect the things that are dear until we all, we've lost them. Protect it long before it's gone, long before there's a threat. Second reason why God gave you testosterone was that so you could have an adventure. It's one of the reasons why when my boys were uh, 12, 13, we, Jane and I from the age of seven had saved up really hard and worked really hard to save up so that on the Christmas day of uh, Mark, I think it was 13th birthday, what was delivered into our front yard was a ski boat. I talked to an older man who said to me, uh, I said, what was the secret to your you know, teenage, bringing up teenagers? He said to me, boats and bikes. So I decided, I like water, so I decided that we would get a ski boat and uh, so we did. It's began to spend the years on the River Murray and what happened then is people started to come to our house. All the teenagers came to our house instead of my teenagers going to their house. That way I knew what was going on. In, uh, but we had many, many adventures. I could tell you many stories about that a man wants to have an adventure. If your life is boring, you're in trouble. You are going to be challenged. You're going to find yourself in a bad place. You need an adventure. The third reason God gave you testosterone and made you strong was so you would be a leader. God wants you to lead your family. God wants you to take responsibility. It's not the wife's job to take responsibility for the kids. It's not the wife's job responsible to make the family good. It's your job. It's my job. It's our job to look out over those uh, people's lives that God has given us responsibility over and not just provide. And fathers do two things for their children. Two main things. There are other things as well. But they bring protection and they bring love. And in a leader... I need to do both. I need to both protect and I need to love. I need to be affectionate. I remember when my son Mark, who's now 22 and a youth pastor, he, uh, he was about 13, 14. He was going through that awkward stage where his brain kind of left his body and went somewhere else and came back four years later. And, uh, and he was in that stage and we were going to school up at King's Baptist there and, and uh, I dropped him off and he, and he kind of got to a stage where he didn't want, he didn't want any affection publicly. It was like, that, you know, the, the, the goodbye kiss was kind of out. It was no longer cool. He might have been, he was in high school, so he lasted a lot longer than most. And uh, he said, you know, he didn't want to give me a kiss. I said, Mark, you've got two choices. This is how it works. You either lean over right now and you give me a kiss or I'm going to get out of the car and chase you into the school in front of all your friends 
and I'm going to give you a big hug and a big kiss in front of everybody. Well, he, he went for the kiss across the car. But from that day onwards, his awkwardness with same-sex love of the right kind was busted. Do you know why we have such a breaking, uh, such an increase in people getting into those inappropriate relationships? It's because they've starved of affection from somebody like a dad who didn't give them love. The times I've talked to people, sat with a son and he says, you know, my dad doesn't really care about me. Then sat with a father and the father says, I love that son so much. So what is it about men that they have all these qualities but are unable to convey it? It's one of the great challenges for 2011 for you and I to be better communicators of this deep love that we have for the people we care about. Let's not tell them on the deathbed. Let's not tell them later on in life. Let's tell them now. Look for an opportunity today to tell somebody in your life why you love them. Speak life into them. You know, I found for me the only time I could do that was when my kids were lying in bed. That meant staying up sometimes to one o'clock in the morning to get that opportunity to just go lie on the end of an 18-year-old's bed and, you know, when he's just lying there wanting to go to sleep and that's when he wants to talk. Not any other time, he's too busy. Just go lie in his bed and just start chatting. God wants us to learn how to lead our families. And I'm sure you're doing a great job, but can I encourage you just to rise to another level. Take control of your emotions and be a real man and speak those things. You know, I've been talking to my dad just these last, and yesterday I was on the phone to my dad, asking my dad how he's going because my mum's got bone cancer. And so I started asking him, how are you going? How are you dealing with this, dad? What's going on in your heart? We should be able to have those strong conversations with other males in our lives. Hey, scary. Just do it five times and it'll be easy after that. Those first five times are hard. The next 25 times, it becomes simple. So God gave you strength so you'd protect. God gave you strength so you would lead. God gave you strength so you'd have an adventure. God gave you strength so you could procreate. It's the part you like, I know. It's the part we all like. We won't go there too far into that. Um, except, I, you know, it's to say that I was 40 years of age when I procreated my last child and uh, created my last child. He's now seven. And uh, so I have a 22-year-old son, a 20-year-old son and a seven-year-old. And it makes life interesting. I believe God gives us children for a great reason, to keep us young, to reinvent us as we get old and crusty. In Jesus' name, amen. So I believe one of the great qualities that you have and that you possess that is a great gift to you is your strength. What I want to talk to you today is the assault against your strength. What is your kryptonite? What is, if God's given you this great strength like Superman, and Superman is just really an articulation of what every man would like to be. Superman. But there was a kryptonite that robbed him of his strength. And I want to talk to you about Samson. Can I talk to you about Samson? It's not going to go the direction you think it might go. Uh, we're not just going to talk about women today. But I want to talk to you about the great, why you need your strength. Because what you discover as you read the story of Samson, the strongest man to have ever lived. This guy was given a triple dose of testosterone. This guy was on natural steroids. This guy was just the man. He was just a strong, he was a man's man. He could take on 
anybody. He could protect, he could lead, he could do all those things. He was a man's man. But we know the story about Samson, that Samson went from being this incredible leader, not only leading his family, but leading a nation with great strength, the hallmark of his life being the man's trait, strength. And yet Samson failed on his journey. And I want to talk to you about why. I want to talk to you about what stopped him from actually fulfilling this God-given call of strength leadership in his life. It caused him to fail his family, fail his nation, fail his leadership, fail in a whole bunch of areas. And really it came down just to a couple of simple things that affect your life and my life today. And probably not more, not any more appropriate time than December to talk about this quality leading up to Christmas. You see, what destroyed Samson was not just the women. Let me give you three things that are a man's kryptonite. You ready? Three things. The man's kryptonite. Number one is women. Number two is words. And number three is weariness. The three W's. Figured Pastor Danny does all C's. I just thought today I'd do W's. <laughs> Women, words, and weariness. What destroys Samson was those three things. Women, words, and weariness. In fact, one of the greatest scriptures I love to read is you'll, you'll, you'll get this. Um, see, life became a mess in Israel because Samson failed. Life becomes a mess in our families when we fail. When we fail as leaders, life becomes a mess in our jobs, becomes a mess in our own personal lives, becomes a mess in our churches when we fail to be the strength, the strong man that God has called us to be. God's got a great plan for you to lead, not just, and God's given you a capacity not just to lead yourself, but to lead many others, to be strong on behalf of many others, to rise up and protect many others, to create adventure for many others. That's the innate qualities God's Plant it inside your soul and inside your DNA. But the devil has a plant also, also lure away your strength. The thing that, you've got, you got to understand this, what the devil wants from you is your strength. He wants your strength. The whole strategy against Samson was show me the secret of your great strength. The enemy of your life, destiny, family, your influence is to discover the secret to your strength. And if you read the story in Judges, it uh, talks about Samson falling in love with this woman called Delilah. Very famous couple in all of uh, history. But it starts off, this is how it starts off. You ready? I'm going to read to you a reasonably long passage of Scripture and then bring some thoughts out of this. So Delilah said to Samson, and here it is. Tell me the great, tell me the secret of your great strength. So Samson starts to play with her, right? He starts to give her all kinds of bum leads and, and wrong turns. And he says to them, he says to her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been tied, dried, and she tied them with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. 
Then Delilah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, well, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah said, then said to Samson, until now you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric onto the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. While he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into a fabric and tightened it with a pin. And she called him, called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled out the pin and the loom of the fabric. She said to me, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And this is the verse I want you to get. With such nagging. Do we have any amens out there? With such a nagging. She prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Who's ever been in that scenario, being nagged day after day to your tie to the, Timmy, you need to be nagged. Today. No, no. When it was such an anger, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. When he was exhausted, he told her everything. When did he tell her everything? When he was exhausted. I want to talk to you about one of the great killers of your strength, and that is tiredness. It accounts for 30% of road fatalities, tiredness. You see, tiredness, sorry, your strength guards your vision. So if you know the story about Samson, after Samson is subdued, after he tells her, after he's nagged to death till he's tired, he is so tired, this is why he's sleeping all the time, he's tired, he's just tired, not that long, he's physically tired in his soul, just being nagged, 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 Nag, nag, until he got tired. This is resonating with a few, I know. Nag till he got tired to death. And at the point that he got exhausted emotionally, it's when he gave away the secret to his great strength. What he thought he, what he was doing was shutting her up. What he was doing was destroying his future. Because his strength had been given to him to protect to provide, to lead. His strength was there to protect his vision. Can I say to you men that our strength protects our vision? There's an interesting passage of Scripture, an interesting story or a verse about, uh, about Samson. Listen to this. How many know the story of Samson? That Samson he has his hair cut off. He loses his strength. He gets subdued by the Philistines. He is taken away to Gaza and he's suddenly put into a, into a prison. And what do they do before they do that? They gouge out his eyes. And why do they gouge out his eyes? Because it doesn't matter if his hair grows back. It doesn't matter if he gets strong again because he will get strong again. He's had a moment of failure and he will get strong again. But they'll make sure, they make sure that when he hasn't got his strength, we're going to gouge out your eyes. You see, the end result of losing your strength is losing your vision. We often focus on vision. We need to have all this vision. And that's true. But I want to tell you, the strength, the nuclear powerhouse behind your vision is your strength. 
your strength, not only physically, but your strength emotionally. That's why, you know, one of the great dichotomies in church life is that we often see strong men physically who are weak spiritually. Or weak emotionally. But God wants to make you not just strong on the outside. He wants to make you strong in your mind and strong in your heart. And He wants to make you strong in your spirit. Whenever you read about people like Daniel, it's because he had a strong spirit in him. It wasn't his strength of, 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 of personality or his strength of uh, physical attributes. It was a strength of spirit. God wants to make you strong in your spirit. And you are strong in spirit. But He wants to get you to be strong in a spirit that's, that is committed to the purposes of God. So what are the lessons we can learn out of Samson's life? We've got to protect ourselves against fatigue. If I was to ask a question right now, who's tired? Other than the fact you got up early this morning, uh, some of you are going to work after this. But other than the fact that you might have had a really late night like I did, got to bed at one o'clock and then got up at early at six, you know, other than that tiredness, if I was to ask you if you're tired, there'd be some of you because of what's happened this year in your business, because of what's happened this year in your, in your home, that you're tired. This is what happened to, to, to Samson. His marriage or his relationship difficulty created tiredness for him. She just nagged him and nagged him and nagged him till he got tired. Tiredness is the great enemy of strength. He allowed himself to live close to the line. He allowed himself to be nagged day after day. And I want to ask you a question. I just want to make a statement and then ask you a question. Nagging tires you. Nagging tires you. But it's not just the nagging of a woman that tires you. It's other things that tire us. Things that nag away at it. Let me ask you a question. Maybe worry is nagging away at your heart. Do you find yourself worried about the future of your business? Worried about what's happening in your world? Worried about the things that are going on around about you? Are you worried? Of course, you won't tell anybody you're worried, but inside you're worried. Because that worry that nags away at your heart is sucking your strength away. And when it sucks your strength away, you become vulnerable to everything else. You lose your vision. Is it the pressure of the bills or the interest rates? What's getting your soul tight? Is it your marriage? People here today, I've got no doubt without a word of knowledge that are tired of just trying to make her happy. Tired of the teenagers driving you nuts. Tired of just trying to make it work. Trying to find a way around that shocking partner you have. Trying to find peace, trying, tired of trying to keep the peace, tired of trying to be sick with worry about what's going on in your life. Is it a grudge that nags away at your soul? An unresolved, unforgiving moment in your life where you cross swords with somebody and their words penetrated and pierced? Are you struggling with rejection? Is that one of the big things that just pops its head up every time you move forward, somebody rejects? You know what I've discovered in my life? I've discovered every time I come just before a promotion in life, I get attacked and what tries to be sucked out of me is my strength through the avenue of rejection. I would have to say that probably for myself, as I've analysed myself over the years, the greatest thing that I struggle with is rejection. It's the thing that sucks my strength. 
And I discovered, however, at the point of promotion, I get this barrage of rejection. Just when I'm about to bust through to another level, there's an assault on the strength of that identity, of who I am. Maybe you're that person. Is it something that someone did that's consuming your energy, thinking about how you'll get revenge or how you'll, what you're going to do? Delilah's secret weapon wasn't her strength. It was her ability to make Samson lose his. The enemy of your life's great weapon is not his strength. It's his ability to make you lose yours. So on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 or 0 to 10, just mentally rate yourself in terms of your emotional and spiritual and even physical strength right now. If you took a snapshot of your life right now, where would you rate between 0 and 10? Because I want you to understand this morning, I don't want to just give you some nice thoughts. I want to challenge you to become the great man God has called you to become. Just like fatigue is one of the greatest killers on our roads, emotional, mental and spiritual fatigue is one of the greatest killers of leadership. Samson was strong till he got too tired that he gave in. Had nothing to do with his outward strength. Had everything to do with the fact that he was emotionally tired. What happens when you're tired? Tired. You might want to write these down. Number one, you undervalue what you have. When you are tired, you start to think about quitting and you start, you start to undervalue that marriage, undervalue those children, undervalue that workplace, undervalue that job, that church. You start to undervalue the people around about you. Think of Esau. Esau was so tired from being out hunting in the field that he undervalued the birthright, the great blessing that he was entitled to. So he surrendered it just for a, for a plate of, uh, you know, uh, whatever it was, lentils. For a bowl of soup. He traded in his birthright because tiredness said to him, if you don't get something to eat, you're going to die. What's the point of that if you don't get that? And his ability to judge value went. Is that, the, is that the kind of like the 10 minute wind down sign at that point? <laughs> we get fatigued by holding grudges, getting angry, feeling afraid, being anxious. So what happens when your soul gets tired? Number one, you undervalue what you have. Samson did not undervalue what he had until he tried to do what he did before. It says in verse 20, uh, he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You don't know that your strength is not able to rise to the occasion until the occasion comes. You can't say, well, you know, I'll be ready for that day. Well, you only can be ready if your strength is high when the day comes. If you don't make the focus your strength, then when the day comes, and it will come, and it may come a few times, when that day comes, you won't be ready. But if your strength is strong at the time of that moment, of tragedy, of challenge, you're going to be able to rise up because God gave you the ability to conquer through the strength that He gave you. Tiredness. Number two, you underestimate the impact of your decisions. So you undervalue what you have and you underestimate the impact of your decisions. How many know that when you're tired, you just don't really care? Oh yeah, whatever, whatever. Isn't that why the nagging's there? To get you to a point where you don't care, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's the truth, hey, come on, we're blokes, it's the truth. You know, there have been times in my life where I've got to say I got so tired, I, I, I felt like quitting, quitting the ministry. You know what? I've had enough. And then later on, when I got my strength back, realizing what a stupid idiot I was. 
Who's ever had that experience where you thought you thought something really negative about your future and then when you got your strength back, you thought, what was I thinking? Come on. It's the truth, isn't it? It's how we are. You know, there was a survey of couples. This, this is an interesting survey. A survey of couples who broke up in their marriages rather than ride out the storm. 30,000 people were studied for 18 years by Richard Lucas from Michigan, Michigan State University who found that divorced people report a permanently lower enjoyment life, permanently lower enjoyment in life than married people. One of the most surprising findings in the study, they said, was that divorce was associated with permanent levels and changes of distress. I say that not because, not to condemn anyone that's been through a failure, because it can happen to all of us. Hey, we're all, we're all vulnerable. It can happen for a variety of reasons. So this is not about, this is not a message about that. But all it is is a message about, you know, when I, when I counsel couples and they're, they're tired, they're in the middle of this, this fight, this war, they've got this challenge going on for whatever reason. You can see that the challenge is, is sucking out of them all of their strength. All of them. And they think, oh, you know what? It would be easier if we, just, if we just went our own separate ways. Well, the research tells you what you thought was hard then becomes harder later on. Better to ride through the storm and come out the other side without the same levels of distress. You see, the thing about Samson was that he thought, and this is the thing, you can lose, you can start thinking about what you should do, but when you give in, you lose your vision. You lose your vision, you compromise. You underestimate the impact of your decisions. And we know that Samson didn't understand what had happened until it was gone. So understand this, your strength guards your vision. And your strength protects your vision. So your strength protects your vision and your vision gives purpose to your strength. If you don't have a vision, then your strength's got nowhere to operate. Does that make sense? The reason why we talk about vision so much is because God gave you strength to put into a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. Without And God gave you strength. So your strength has only negative places to go when you have no vision. So God gave you strength to guard your vision and He gave you vision to give purpose and outlet and energy and direction and focus to your strength. This is what happened to Samson. You see, the Philistines didn't care if his hair grew back. Let his hair grow back. What, what good is he without his eyes? And in fact, what Samson left, left his, lived his whole life from that point onwards was regret at losing his vision. I've talked to people like, over time who have failed morally. I've talked to people, you know, and there is a great challenge today to not fail morally. We're so sexually saturated uh, you know, by what's around us. There is a great challenge. But you talk to people that have failed in that way, and particularly leaders and so on, and you know what? Their hair grows back. Their strength comes back. When that, when that terrible uh, train crashes over, their strength comes back. But often it's too late. So what happens is they've got all this strength, but nowhere to put it. The most frustrating thing in life is to live with all this strength, but nowhere to use it. See, God's given you strength to make a, a difference. 
to make a change. You know, people, people, uh, you know, the most devastating thing to people's lives is when they have the ability and the strength and the gifts of God, but no way to use them. People are losing their family. You know what? Devastating to have the passion again when all the hurt has subsided and you're strong again, but nowhere to let it loose. So what's given up in a moment? This is the challenge of December, I guess. What's given up in a moment? It's called the silly season for a reason. What's given up in a moment will cost you years of purpose. That's why I never make decisions to quit when I'm tired. All right, you're coming to the end of the year. Don't quit that job. Don't quit that marriage. Don't quit that leadership position. Don't quit, uh, you know, all those things that you're doing. Don't quit. Stay focused till at least April. Then when you've got brains back in your head, then make a decision. When you've got your strength back. This is a bad time of the year to make decisions. Well, I'm going to go live over there. I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to Queensland. Bad decision. It's miserable up there. Great place to have a holiday. Shocking place to live. Adelaide might have, great, not, not have a lot of attractions, but it is a great place to live. Boring, but it's good. I like that. I like that. Thank you, Glenn. Yes, on that. So, what do I give up in anger, frustration, fear, or exhaustion today? I most likely will live to regret tomorrow. Never make a decision when you're tired. Do not make a decision in December other than what present you're going to buy. Maybe not even make that decision. Listen to this. Samson lived his whole life from that point on in regret and hell bent on revenge. And listen to verse 28. You know, if you've ever read the story of Samson, you think, you know, way out the end, you know, he, you know, he was able to kill more Philistines than right at the very beginning. But listen to what he says. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just one more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. What consumed Samson after that day was the loss of vision. And he became hell-bent on revenge. I want to ask you a question. Who stole your vision? Where did it happen? Maybe it happened as a 20-year-old. Somebody stole your vision. I watch this in church life so often. You know, the people that are supposed to be wise and older are often just more colder. I've seen it, been there, done it, Sonny. I know what it's like. And they develop a cynical attitude. Why? Because they've lost their vision. I know it's like in church life, I just watch from a distance. No, no, when you were 18, 20, you were passionate. When you were 25, you wanted to get into it. You wanted to be the leader. You were someone that wanted to contribute. But then the church hurt me. Well, what did you expect? The church is going to hurt you. Just a word, advice. Just like your family hurts you. Why? Because the family is the place, the, the greatest source of joy and the greatest source of pain. Isn't that true? It's this incredible thing. Let me, let me just ask you a very honest question here. How many of you are not really looking forward to seeing certain relatives at Christmas? We should have an older call for this one because I know everybody should have their hand up. There are certain relatives that are just, you just, you know, you just can't wait till 
Boxing Day. First of all, the cricket's on and we need to pray for the cricket, but boy, we are doing badly. But you know what? Can't wait to Boxing Day because, see, those relatives, normally the wife's side, the wife's side's relatives, they're out of here. <laughs> those crazy uncles, you know, crazy cousins, whatever they might be, in-laws, outlaws, all those people. I can't remember what I was saying. I was getting passionate about that now. I can't remember what I was saying, what I was talking about. What was I talking about? The mother-in-law is the devil. The mother-in-law is the devil. Right, okay. That's right. That was was verbatim from a particular person on this table here. No, he was only joking. So, remember this, that your vision is God's telescope on your future. Your vision is God's telescope on your future. You will get hurt in church life because whenever you get close to anybody in life, they're going to hurt you. Once you've lost your ability to see God's plan for your life, you've lost everything. How, how, sorry to keep you up. How to, stop, how to guard your strength. <laughs> how to guard your strength very quickly. Decide to stay strong. That means keeping away from things. Do you know what things rob your strength? Do you know? Actually, it worked out. Because your strength is the key to your vision. Your strength is the key to your success as a man. Have you worked out what your kryptonite is? What are the things? Is it women, worry, and words? Or is it women, weariness, worry, and words? Or is it just weariness? That's the part I want to focus on. Number two, sleep. Just simple stuff here. So decide to stay strong. How do you guard your strength? Decide to stay strong. Number two, sleep. Emotional tiredness will weaken your resolve. Number three, diet. I can see that from the uh, bacon and eggs this morning. We're on a diet. Friends that encourage and re-energize your heart for the Lord. Enough celebration to keep you strong. Devotions to keep you sharp. And don't let your mind go to those places. Guard your mind. You cannot guard your mind without strength. Because the strength of your mind is determined upon your physical strength to a big degree. I just want to say to you, the future is amazing and the future is incredible for your life. If you'll understand, your strength guards your vision. We're so focused on the vision part and that's great. But I've discovered that God's putting within every one of us great vision. What we have a problem with is guarding our strength. How many times do you see it as a pastor? People serve well for two years. You know, they say, they pray this prayer and not call, Lord, use me. And after two years, they feel used. I volunteered for the building program. Now I feel burnout. Someone ticked me off. It just happens. That's life. That's how it works. So what you got to do is you got to guard your strength. Because what I've noticed in church life, what I've noticed in marriages, it's when tiredness sets in and it becomes endemic amongst those people that then fractures start to appear. The vision starts to disappear because your strength guards your vision. If I could give you a word going into Christmas, renew your strength. Because there is a great journey ahead. God hasn't finished with you and He's got great plans ahead. Awesome plans to expand you on the left and the right. To bring about great growth in your personal life, in your business, in your work life. But you've got to guard your strength. I just want to finish there and I want to pray for people this morning that may say to me, you know what, honestly, you know, it's a time of the year we could all put our hands up because we're all feeling tired. But you know what, can I say this to you? It's amazing how the clicking of a clock from midnight 
on the 31st of December over by one second to the 1st of January can change our hearts from tiredness to gladness in a second. Business is a choice as well. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to pray for you just where you're seated. Just pray for you that if you are, have you got strength issues, if you've got strength issues, then you're going to have vision issues as well. Go back to the cause of the vision challenge. You'll find it'll be a strength challenge. Let's close your eyes. Father, I pray for people today who are here that are struggling with tiredness. Maybe it's tiredness in their heart because of grudges. Maybe it's tiredness in their heart, Lord, because of things that just keep nagging, those temptations that keep nagging and nagging and nagging away until they're tired. Lord, whatever it is, I pray we would understand that tiredness is the greatest killer of people on the roads today. It's the greatest killer of destiny. It's the greatest killer of vision. Tiredness will kill you every time. And I pray today, Lord, that you would renew our strength. Lord, you'd cause us to draw closer to you and be passionate about your house. Get some rest over Christmas. But Lord, renew our spirit, we pray, so that in 2011, we become greater men. We become greater dads. We become greater fathers, greater husbands, greater leaders, and greater owners of businesses and greater workers. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.